Hello everyone and welcome to another episode. In this episode, we're actually starting our new series on Gerald Clark. And so this is an introduction episode to tell us a little bit about who Gerald Clark was and what the theme of this next season is going to be. So as always, if you have any questions, comments, you're more than welcome to share them anywhere you're listening to your podcast and it always helps if you want to subscribe to the show. So thank you very much and uh, enjoy the episode. We have to talk about consciousness. Our life is actually a midpoint between the two deaths. To use the sexual energy in order to achieve enlightenment. The three-dimensional spiral shape encoded in our DNA, in our biology. Hello, hello once again, one and all, to a brand new episode of the Discomfort Zone podcast. I'm as always Olev, here with you again. And uh, yeah, today's an exciting episode, as those of you who follow the show uh, will know. Today we start our third season series, I think for American, right? Um... Yeah, and we're going to start talking about Gerald Clark today. So I'm very excited about that. We're going to get into it. But before that, I can see in chat we have Crimson Clad. Welcome. His dudeness. Pleasure to have you. I think it's your first time. I can't remember seeing you here. So welcome. And Rondon. Yes, who would have believed it? I think, and uh, I, I really should have uh, verified this before. But if I'm not mistaken, I'm just checking this now. We are approaching our 60th uh, episode. I think we're on 59 with this one. So uh, yeah, it's exciting. It's coming along. I have to say I wasn't sure how long this would uh, this would go when I uh, first started uh, over a year ago now, right? I think so. But I'm very pleased to uh, still be here, to still uh, be with you and be able to share because honestly, this whole journey we're going down uh, was was not planned in the beginning. That was a development um, because of COVID, as uh, those of you listening, uh, some of you will know. So I'm uh, I'm very pleased to finally be here. And I have to admit that um, I'm, I'm very excited to be talking about Gerald Clark. And we'll, uh, we'll get into why uh, very soon. But uh, other than that, we have a, a great show today planned, I hope. Uh, as always, we've uh, quite a lot to get through, but I wanted this episode to be more about um, Gerald Clark and his teaching and philosophy and a little bit about his life and to sort of an introduction to the whole subject, as we did with uh, with Drumvelo, and I think we did with Sitchin as well, if I'm not mistaken. Um, not planned journeys are the best journeys, definitely, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, this whole, this whole uh journey or yeah adventure here including making this podcast uh was not planned for me at least and i'm i'm glad to say that it's it's going well i'd like to take this opportunity to thank all of you out there who are listening wherever you are um sorry i have a very dry mouth you know me but uh yeah i've been Getting, uh, getting more listens and more people in very uh, interesting and curious countries. So I have to say, if you're listening in uh, Sweden, thank you very much. It seems to be a, a large percentage of my listeners uh, come from there, surprisingly. I don't know anyone specifically in, uh, in Sweden, but I'm very glad uh, to have you here. And uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll get into the next uh, series and our whole new... Um, really theme, because I, I do feel that each of these uh, investigators, researchers, uh, individuals had a different approach to life in general, to their area of expertise, and I, I really do think we can learn something uh, from each of them. And I, well, this is obviously also my uh, labeling and putting my own sort of perception onto these things and trying to uh, make these very logical patterns that can connect everything but I like that I think it's like weaving a story you know you can add a few details here and there to spice it up a little and make it easier to understand so uh, as I always say this is all much more narrative than uh, than factual this is a, a story that we're telling to um, for the same reason we tell any story to both entertain and to learn something and to maybe learn something about ourselves about the world about how to better ourselves and become 
who we want to be. So, without further ado, um, we'll talk about Gerald Clark a bit. Now, as I was thinking about this episode, I actually realized that the way the, the series is structured, to remind those of you who, uh, who might not have heard it yet, we started off with uh, Sitchin, Zachariah Sitchin, and then we spoke about Rumvelo. Now we're talking about Gerald Clark, and next we're going to be talking about Michael Tellinger. And that um, progression was in my mind um, actually sort of uh, chronological. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, in terms of the researchers' lives and when they put out the work, it actually is chronological. But um, for me, I actually was exposed to these researchers not in that order. And I actually heard of Gerald Clark uh, and of Michael Tellinger before I read Druvelo's book, which was curious when I remembered because... In my mind, the way that it was structured was so that um, Gerald Clark and, and Michael Tanger, but Gerald Clark specifically, his teachings really rested on what Drumvelo has given us, that sort of perception into things. And he does talk about it a lot, and, and it, it sort of felt very natural to build it up from Drumvelo at the base and reach Gerald Clark once we had a slightly more robust uh, shared language that we can use. And so it was just a curious thought that although it wasn't how I was sort of introduced to these things, um, when I, I didn't actually remember that until I was thinking about it, because in my mind I'd already organized them in that sort of um, procession. And the reason for that, and I wanted to share it with you, because I thought it could help us also to understand and place Gerald Clark in terms of where we see him uh, in our narrative. Um, as we've mentioned a few times before, Sitchin is sort of the um, academic and scientific and as sort of rigorous um, logical uh, research as can be made about uh, alien astronauts. And his work really is unique, I think, amongst most, um, you know, most people who theorize about these things. His work is much closely, much more closely related to uh, researchers in the field of archaeology or of uh, civilizations. Um, and among them, he obviously does take far more liberties with his interpretations. Um, he would have to in order to reach those conclusions. So, the way that I see it, and far as I'm concerned, and we've we've also talked about this quite a few times, Sitchin's, um, both his sort of pros and cons, is the fact that he is very, very straightforward. He sticks as much as he can to the facts and to what was found, um, and he doesn't go into much explanation into the sort of the culture or the psychology of the Anunnaki, not even treating them really as um, objects of his research, but merely the only outcome uh, that can come from, the conclusion that can come from his research. And he really, I feel at least in his writing, stays very far away from uh, going into any kind of... Um, assumptions or theories about the Anunnaki's technology and what they used. He talks about what was presented in the text and these sort of uh, flying vehicles that could fire bolts of lightning, but he always uses um, the, the, the culture's language to describe it. And if he does interpret it, he keeps it very limited to our understanding of technology at this point today. Um, and that's very good. I think that was sort of what he meant to do and what he was trying to do um, was to remain as close to the source as possible. But then um, we have Drunvalo, and Drunvalo is on the opposite side of that spectrum. Drunvalo doesn't nearly rely on any facts or research or doesn't really mention um, archaeological sites. He mentions sacred sites quite a lot, but he always talks about his personal experience in these places or the personal experiences of teachers who have sort of conveyed to him that information. And so on the completely other side of things, he's very, very intuitive and very um, much more theoretical and admits to it, obviously wears it on his sleeve, doesn't conceal it. Or um, from, from the beginning of the book, from the introduction, you read his story as this is my experience and it's not an objective presentation of the facts. It really is sort of, here's what I think. Um, and, and that's a different style, again, for getting this information across. And I do think there's a lot to, to learn and to see from 
both of these sides and i've i've as i researched these subjects and read uh, various people you can you can sort of um, divide into this dichotomy of those who are more research based and leaning and those usually tend to research the areas of uh, politics and uh, the monetary system and the history and like the monarchy and those things which are sort of um more i would say scientific and less uh, I don't know, let's call it mystical or energetic. And then on the other side of the spectrum, you have sort of people who, shall I say, claim to be communicating with beings or have experienced, you know, uh, aliens or had various kinds of experiences that um, would seem to defy the current uh, perception of science. Um, and they have a very, very different um, sort of area of researching more energy and all of these mystical concepts like auras and, you know, all the things we've been talking about basically with uh, Drumvelo. And so that's that's why, in my mind, um, it very clearly fit this model where having covered the two uh, opposites that we've spoken about also in the uh, four, um, we can now, sorry, not the four, when we have a... a the first stage of completion and the second stage of uh, duality, when we combine the two, we get something new. And that uh, third sort of the Holy Trinity, in my mind, is Gerald Clark. And Gerald Clark does an excellent job, um, as I've mentioned, obviously, of bridging these two very distinct and sometimes, uh, you know, dualistic worlds, um, and being able to find not only the common thread, but really a perception that's able to encapsulate um, all of this research in one in one worldview. And so when I was uh, going over the, the, the book and, and reading it again and sort of refreshing uh, everything in my mind, um, I was struck as I'd sort of forgotten by just how quickly Gerald Clark begins his book and his uh, first book on the subject, it's called The Anunnaki, um, with talking about Sitchin and the whole uh, history, according to his books. And obviously, he gives his own sort of wording for it, and he chooses, um, he actually quotes a lot of the Old Testament and chooses his own way of showing these things. But nevertheless, and he obviously mentions Sitchin uh, by name quite a few times, he is, it's so clear to him that the first most crucial part of this investigation is to start at the beginning and to start with Sitchin, who was really one of the first, if not the first, serious researcher to do this. But as I carried on into the book further, he obviously comes to deal with very mystical, energetic uh, topics. And uh, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about that side of his uh, life, as it were. And so Gerald Clark actually began... Um, as a trained electrical engineer. And uh, I've told you this before, but uh, <laughs> I have a special affinity for electrical engineers. I think seeing the world through electricity and understanding that force of nature gives a very different, a very unique perspective uh, on the world. All of the, well, not all maybe, but uh, a lot of the electrical engineers that I know of and have met have been very interesting people um, to talk to. And so he was an electrical engineer and, in fact, um, a, a good indication of who he is and, and how he uh, thinks is what he decided to research for his uh, thesis. And I believe this was, you know, I can't actually remember if it was a second degree or at what point in his uh, studies he did this, but um, the subject he was actually studying uh, in Hawaii for some reason, as a, that was his uh, student exchange, I think, for a semester. And as part of his um, thesis, he decided to research um, the human uh, frequency, really and truly. So the human frequency being some kind of measurement of um, the energy. And in his mind, the sum total energy of the, the, the human ex existence, I would say. And so obviously the first um, factor of that equation is the human body, which is mass, and that's energy at a dense uh, state. But on top of that, there's all of the sort of electrical energy, and that's um, the way we uh, view that is mainly through the sort of our brain readings of uh, encep uh, encephalographs and... Uh, um, different ways of detecting the brain, the, the electrical frequencies inside the brain. 
And then in his um, view and how he saw it, there was also this uh, sort of the chakra system, which is an emotional energy. And he was trying to discover a way to factor in and measure each of these different um, energies and to come up with a uh, formula that would actually show the relationship between these different parts. And uh, it's very interesting. If you want, I won't go into it because it's very mathematical and it, it, I wouldn't do it justice anyway to try and explain it. Um, but it's in his book and he, he talks about it. It's, it's a very interesting subject. I don't know how he got his teacher uh, to agree for that to be uh, the subject, but he approached it as an electrical engineer measuring electrical energy. And so uh, in theory, you know, as far as we know, um, it should be possible. And so he actually uh, included uh, Einstein's uh, famous equation, uh, E equals MC squared, in order to sort of factor in that relationship between the energy states or the different energy states that are in the body. But that already can show us what kind of person he was, that he was already interested in the human body as a phenomenon and um, really to have it be an alive, uh, you know, organic, um, uh, not machine, but sort of being that is much more complex and deep uh, than perhaps we understand, but is still um, within our grasp to understand it better. And throughout his life, we'll see that Gerald Clark really uh, took it upon himself quite literally to uh, investigate his own body, human bodies, uh, the relationship between the different energies of the body and uh, between our mental and emotional state. And he, he talks about that as well. Um, oh, so, uh, PZ, welcome. I didn't see you in chat there. And Darsico, pleasure to have you as well. Okay, thesis is just a made-up word and brought to you by the Order of the Sisters of Eris. Oh, I'd never heard of that. Um, oh, and I can see more people. Gecko and uh, Abigail Honey, welcome. Welcome, pleasure to have you. Um, well, all words are made up, so uh, that's that's okay. But I, uh, yes, I'm, I'm talking about the... Uh, the uh, formal university degree, you know, uh, um, research that he had to do. Anyway, sorry, <laughs> side note. Yeah, pleasure to have you all here. I'm glad to see you joining. Sometimes I have to scroll down so I don't always see when you come. Sorry, gosh, I'm drinking a lot. I hope it's okay. Uh, ASMR, right? That's, that's what you're supposed to say. So, we can see that Gerald Clark started out uh, to a certain degree as uh, a scientist, uh, rational, um, you know, pragmatic, all of these sides of the scales of viewing the world through mathematical equations to, to a certain degree. Um, but he was also uh, an artist and a musician. In fact, he had uh, a band that he played with throughout his life. And later on, he also um, tried to, uh, he did incorporate his artistic side into things. So he was um, aware of the importance, I think, of balance and didn't feel the need to sort of pursue this, uh, the same stereotypical uh, identity that often evolves around certain places, whether it's academia or an artist. Um, he really managed to walk that line and, and between the two quite, I think, quite uh, impressively. Um, and then something happened that really changed uh, his life, in his words, quite fundamentally. And that is that uh, he and his wife had a son, and his son was actually uh, diagnosed. And he was diagnosed with a very uh, rare genetic disorder. That I actually can't remember. The name of it is like letters and numbers, so... For those of you who are really curious, you can look it up, doesn't matter. But um, this specific uh, genetic uh, disease caused um, to be accumulation of sort of uh, muscle and fat around the legs um, in different parts of the bodies. And this really made it uh, impossible to uh, walk. And so uh, his son, uh, getting to the age of about uh, four or five, really couldn't walk and couldn't learn to work. And he was um, quite uh, disabled in that sense. Uh, and this obviously um, pushed Gerald Clark to research the subject and to see what could be done. And he did try uh, quite a few things and sort of uh, researched quite a few areas and obviously went through what medicine could offer. But again... There's very little with uh, uh, that little that can be done with some genetic disorders uh, in terms of modern medicine. 
uh, congenital generalized lipodystrophy. Dist oh, lipodystrophy. Uh, lipodystrophy, that, you know what, I actually don't remember. I can, uh, I'll, I'll look it up, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll update afterwards. I don't think that was it, because I remember it being a, a less understandable name. <laughs> yeah, 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 but, um, but it could be. I can't say that I 100% remember that it's not that. Um, but what I do remember is what uh, Gerald Clark found among his researching and trying to uh, find a, uh, something to solve this. And I'll, I'll say uh, the name for those of you who do uh, know it. It'll actually become quite famous within years. Um, he discovered Rolfing, or by its other name, uh, Structural Integration, which is what he uses. And the way he found it was was actually quite curious as well. He, he was into running quite long distances, and uh, I think he was running marathons at the time. And one of the, I think it was the, the the New York Marathon or something like that. He was there, and he suddenly saw this runner, and uh, being a he he was a uh, he was very very into um, training, and he was actually a fitness trainer in uh, the army when he served, and he was very aware of sort of the physical side of things, and he saw um, a runner who had this really perfect stride and posture, and the way he just held his body. Um, really caught Gerald's eye and he was fascinated so much that he was moved to approach the runner and say you look you know really good when you're running uh, what is it what's your secret and the guy turned to him and said structural integration and that was it and so uh, he, he started researching this subject and it really uh, has be became a huge part of his life he became a uh, a um, not a practitioner, what do you call it, a therapist, structural integration therapist, and worked in it many years and actually uh, trained other people as well. Um, and so, ah, yeah, there was a role from place near me, and this name always made me laugh. Yeah, I had no idea what it was. So, uh, interesting, I'll, I'll, I'll actually start with that, because it's a very uh, interesting subject, I think, that isn't quite, uh, well, I don't know, Gerald Clark was very, very much in favor of it. I must admit and say right from the beginning that I've never done it. It's relatively uh, a little expensive for me. I have looked into it, but it's it's a rather expensive treatment and it is supposed to be uh, 10 uh, sessions. Um, and so you usually buy it as 10. So, no, <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, ROFL is, is something else. Um, Rolfing comes from the name Ada Rolf, who is the actual uh, originator, inventor of this methodology. And Ada Rolf was a woman in, oh my gosh, in around the 1950s and 60s, I can't remember exactly. Um, but she also had a son. And I, he, he didn't have the same disease that Gerald Clarkson had, if I'm not mistaken. But he also uh, wasn't able to run and to use his body properly in this sense. Uh, Ada into researching and she came up with a very um, ingenious and simple way of viewing uh, the human body and in fact one of the uh, the ways that she that she would present this with a model would be she would take um, balls marbles and she would uh, attach them with rubber bands to sticks and she would present the different ways that the muscles and ligaments connect with those three sort of simple parts and showing um, the integration or the way that all these pe uh, pieces interact together. I, sorry, Ida. Why do I keep saying Ada? And that's my pronunciation. Yes, Ida Rolf. Um, anyway, so that is, first of all, the name, uh, where the name Rolfing comes from. It's actually her last name and it was uh, it caught on after her. She sort of trained, I think, the first 10 trainers and then well, like a lot of these systems that's how it uh, grew um structural integration is i think the official name that she gave it and uh it's it's a very interesting thing i i don't know how much is uh from the actual rolfing community uh well at least i think it, ida obviously was very much aware of how this system worked and why it was so uh unique in that way but uh, it, it's something that I've not often heard outside, and Gerald Clark really does a great way of explaining uh, the core principles. And so I, I wanted to share his perspective. Um, oh, hang on, I want to see this. Okay, um, I'll have to check it uh, afterwards. So 
the way he viewed this whole concept of structural integration was that we have to look at the human body as uh, interacting with gravity. And so gravity has this very clear, straight, um, vertical line that's pulling down. So if we can imagine this vertical grid, we have to see the human body inside that vertical grid. Now, I just said that when we are born, everyone um, is born with these sort of... Um, the moment that we actually uh, exit uh, the womb and sort of uh, come into the air for the first time, our muscles sort of, uh, to some extent, solidify and tighten. And the places that they tighten are sort of random. It's just something that we come out with. Um, and those obviously very, very minute uh, differences are sort of frozen in place. And the, 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 the place, as it were, the layer that they are um, active is the fascia layer, which is the, the layer of white that sort of surrounds all of our internal organs and muscles and everything else. And that is the layer that structural integration deals with. So we have these sort of um, contractions, as it were, not contractions, but it's actually frozen into this position and stays that way uh, throughout our life if we don't do something to treat it. Now, part of uh, the, the, the way that this affects us is that depending on the position of whatever the certain muscle that's tense is, that uh, asymmetry, uh, the lower down the body it starts, um, the more it will affect going up. Now, again, this was in the 1960s. Today, a lot of this stuff is common knowledge, and we're all very much aware of it. But in case you're not, or, you know, for me, at least, there was also another addition when I read this. When we're holding our body, if I have a bad knee, it might not necessarily hurt me in my knee. It might very well hurt in my neck. Because as I'm standing, if my knee is slightly off, my whole body will uh, start to align itself according to that. And so the top part uh, above the knee starts aligning one way to um, counter it. And then the part above that has to align the other way to counter that. And it goes up and up all the way as we're trying to build this sort of wonky tower. And that's pretty much the posture that uh, everyone has when they're not um, uh, using their body correctly or, or correcting this uh, posture that we're given, as it were. Um, now, I, I do want to say right off the bat, I don't think rolfing is the only method. In fact, I've never done it, and I, I don't in any way uh, think that it's specifically or necessarily better or worse than anything else. I don't really deal in that sort of comparison or try not to. I do think it's an interesting system. I think it's got something uh, that we can learn for those who haven't thought of these things. Um, oh, it, is it because the chakras settle right when you touch the air? I, I hadn't heard that, but that's a, a very interesting point. That actually uh, does make a lot of sense. Um, in fact, I'm, I'm going to see if I can find something about that. I love crossovers, and, and Ida doesn't talk about chakras at all, um, and, and, and vice versa. I haven't heard many uh, yogis talking about rolfing, so <laughs> it'd be interesting. Um, okay, I think I have one slightly longer one leg slightly longer than the other. I can feel it in my hip after walking for a long time. Yeah. Uh, isn't that Reiki? What, the, the chakras? Or Reiki is just, well, not just, sorry, but Reiki is energy work. Reiki is when you don't actually touch the body um, and you use the energy instead. Uh, rolfing is the extreme opposite. And so, be, sorry, because um, the place that they're working with is the fascia, which is a very deep layer, um, the, the, the massages, these are actually uh, massages that are done, are very, very, very uh, deep <laughs> and said to be often quite painful. Um, I, again, have never experienced it, so I can't say for my own, but uh, the, the word is that these are very unpleasant and relatively painful experiences compared to massages. Um, and this is because it has to go into that very, very deep layer. And it's it's... It's it's a very interesting uh, massage in general. Uh, beyond that, and the way that it's uh, talked about, John Clark actually mentions it as having, if you think about um, 
an injury or trauma happening to a certain part, um, in a way this is sort of frozen in place. And so if our muscles, for example, uh, contract or overworked, then what we have to do is we have to release them. And that's what the massage really does. That's what all massages are supposed to do. And so there's a few ways to really release that tension. One of them is heat and one of them is pressure. Um, there are a few others that I can't actually remember right now. Um, but but the obviously the one that is used um, with with this uh, massage is mostly the the pressure um, and using that um, tremendous pressure to sort of bring back the muscle to the where it was the not the muscle sorry the fascia that layer to its natural uh, elastic state and let it sort of rest in a uh, in a more aligned position and uh, the the point of the the sessions in structural integration is that it has to be 10 consecutive sessions i think it's once a week i think it's once a week i'm pretty sure um and during that time you constantly are taking pictures um with the body in this sort of alignment map to see both the situation and the progress um and it's it's all meant to be in this sort of um this uh, alignment with gravity, gravity being these vertical lines, and our body is supposed to be constantly creating horizontal lines that are perfectly balanced with it. And when you are, or it's said to be that when you are perfectly aligned um, with gravity in that way, you actually don't feel the weight of your body or your head or all of these different parts because your muscles are no longer holding it. It's actually our bone structure that's carrying most of that um, force. It's pulled on by uh, by gravity. Okay, uh, let me see. A uh, Cairo might be able to fix. Oh, this <laughs> get robbed. Yes. Yeah, I, I, there, there's quite a few now. Uh, definitely, I'm, I'm going over chat, but a lot of it is uh, just uh, small jokes. So we're skipping to the end. Um, yeah, chiropractor, uh, chiropractors is is a well, chiropractors is a very very different thing because Cairo what do you call it, chiropractic? <laughs> is that the noun for the uh, thing? Um, is is uh, is bones, isn't it? It's all about um, sort of uh, cracking and snapping those um, bone connections. So it's just a different part of the body. And again, yeah, as I said, I'm really not uh, trying to claim that structural integration is any way better than others. Uh, personally, I think I, this was said uh, by Ida Rolf that these... Um, states that we get sort of that the fascia is frozen and when we're born it, it cannot be cured with anything other than this deep deep tissue uh, deep fascia uh, massage um, that was her claim I don't necessarily know if that's uh, untrue or true um, but in my feeling I think that our bodies can actually um, do some amazing things by themselves and even without uh, uh, an external force of some kind, I think the body can grow much more limber and flexible than we ever give it uh, credit um, enough. And, and I think we can see people, especially today, in this world of hyper-modern, you know, movement and all of the, the whole world of sort of working out has been revolutionized, we can see that our bodies are capable of a lot more than we once uh, thought, perhaps. So again, not in any way to uh, downplay what I'd have said, but I do want to make clear that my uh, my perception is that we should be uh, practicing movement in any method, and anything that you do is better than nothing. I don't uh, go to rolfing. Uh, I would like to. I think it's, it would be a very interesting experience. It sounds intense having those 10 sessions, um, but I'm very, very curious to see afterwards. I also have a lot of back problems. I suffer from it, and I try to uh, do my best, um, but I'd be very curious to uh, to experience it. We'll see, perhaps in the future. There's a few things I would to, I would like to do. Also, uh, neurofeedback that I'm very, very curious about. But anyway, I digress. Um, oh, and I can see we've got a few more people in chat. Uh, Abdex, Abdex9, welcome. And uh, Ill, no, Ildrich, Ill, Eldrich's, Eldrich's Goose. Eldrich's Goose, welcome. Yeah, piece of cake, no problem. Welcome, welcome. A pleasure to have you as always. We are just on the halfway mark, I think just past, which is excellent. I think we're just on time. So, um, the last thing 
that I wanted to uh, really bring up and talk about, well, for those who don't know and are listening for the first time, it's always hard because I've got the people I know who are listening, who are here in chat, and most of you I sort of recognize and I, I don't <laughs> I don't necessarily think you have memorized everything I have ever said. I certainly uh, haven't. But I do assume that sort of a lot of it that's already been said, I don't want to repeat it and go over it. But at the same time, for those who might be listening for the first time, I don't want to just uh, assume that they know everything uh, to begin with. So it's a, it's, a, it's a difficult line that I try to cross, and apologies uh, if I mistake it for one side or another. But all that is to say that, as I had mentioned uh, a few episodes back, Gerald Clark actually passed. He passed away this year, right? It was in, oh, I can't even remember when it was. I think it was in February? Anyway, not long ago, um, by any means. Um, and apparently, well, I didn't know this just before, but uh, he, he suffered from uh, cancer. And uh, he passed um, relatively quickly. He obviously... Uh, being the man that he was, tried many different um, treatments and things, but uh, ultimately they didn't work, and uh, he uh, he passed on. And I, I was thinking about this a lot, and I wanted to talk about this because I thought it would be quite uh, interesting. Oh, hang on, wait. He said that I had a neurofeedback game. Yeah. Oh, Journey to the Wild Divine. Wait, you had a game with with all of the senses, or just the game sort of on your phone that you could. Because, yeah, technically neurofeedback could be a lot of things, but uh, let me know. Um, after my car accident, one of my legs was impacted into my hip. It was sort of the other. I went to a chiron physio for the better part of four years. Really made the difference. I'm so glad to hear. But man, the noise my body made with a chiro. Yeah, yeah. There's some great... If you, I don't know if you're into this. <laughs> Probably not. But one of my sort of uh, uh, weird YouTube fetishes is chiropractors. This is a big thing. People like chiropractors whose YouTube channel is just filming people with these intense <laughs> sessions of uh, of uh, chiropractic. Um, anyway, it's 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 an, it's interesting to watch. And what's interesting there. And what Gerald Clark mentions, which, you know what, I'll talk about this just before, is the emotional side of things. Uh, people have a real emotional outburst, very, very similar to the ones you see with people doing breathing exercises or, you know, uh, different kinds of rebirthing or even sort of just um, dealing with um, suppressed trauma of any kind. These outbursts of emotion uncontrollable outbursts, um, which you see in the chiropractors as well, of people sobbing or yet yeah, laughing. And this is something that Gerald Clark talks about quite a lot when it comes to structural integration, is that yes, you have a, a more aligned body, you feel better, you can breathe better, all of the things that have to do with our physicality. But beyond that, he noticed a tremendous change to his mental and emotional uh, state and he said that he felt not only sort of physically better but really he could think more clearly he was uh, sharper he was sort of less you know lethargic and and more um, energetic and and more hopeful and happier and all of these things which you know I think for most of us when we think of a, mas a massage or or a chiropractor all of these things we don't necessarily consider uh, or vice versa in my case if we might need <laughs> treatment for a physical ail ailment. We very rarely, or I very rarely think of the emotional implications as well of suffering with that instead of going to have it treated in some way. I'm I'm pretty notorious. I think everyone, I, I, I you know, being a, a, an old man that I am now, I think there's this stigma which people sort of leave uh, medical problems sometimes longer than they should or have a tendency to uh, yeah, not want to treat it. But if we were, if I were considering the emotional side of, well, maybe that's what's, you know, giving me harder days or, or, or making it easier for me to lose my temper or, you know, making me more tired or whatever it is, um, be more motivation to, uh, to treat it. I must say, having said that, I am trying the last uh, few days I've been managing to actually get my uh, workout done and uh, do a bit more with my body. So I highly recommend it. And uh, yeah, I hope I keep going. I'll let you know as I progress. But regardless of all of that, or in addition, I should say, um, as I said, Gerald Clark actually uh, passed away from, from cancer. And this is always a, a, an interesting subject for me. When someone 
in my mind, who is not only a good person and sort of tries to, you know, be the best person he can be. And I've, a lot of people obviously have a persona of some kind and behind them, you uh, you know, behind the scenes, you suddenly find out that they were not as legitimate as they uh, may have presented themselves. But with Gerald Clark's case, as far as I know, and he really didn't become tremendously successful and wasn't as tempted, I think, as some people can be. He really did constantly want to better himself, better the people around him. He was never nasty or mean or, or, or you know, um, he wasn't dismissive of anyone uh, from all the people that I, that I heard. And he talked with various different people as well. Um, and he was really a kind man. And obviously, on top of that, he was a very, very intelligent, learned man who would who took care of his body, who took care of his mind, who tried to really um, treat this experience as a sacred experience and to do whatever he can to make it the best experience possible. And so whenever I hear about someone like that getting a terminal disease and in fact dying from it, um, it, it raises a question, which in itself is, I think, rather strange or odd. Um, I, I, I have come to think that, uh, you know, following him as one example, uh, another one of my great teachers, uh, Alan Watts, for those who know, was actually an alcoholic and he died from, uh, from uh, not alcohol poisoning, but uh, from alcoholism, I should say, uh, related disease. And these people who seem on the one side so both spiritual and, you know, uh, special, and really got it together and successful and hard to imagine what kind of problems they have, um, still seem to suffer this ill fate, uh, as it were, no pun intended. And this reminded me of a, a, um, a verse uh, from, I actually thought, <laughs> I thought it was from the Old Testament, but uh, upon uh, looking into it, it's actually from oh, the Talmud. I think that's what it's called in English, right? The Talmud? This is sort of the learnings of the learnings of the learnings. It's 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 pretty far down the interpretation road, uh, Jewish trail. Um, but uh, uh, for those who uh, don't know, it's part of the Jewish oral tradition. Um, there's obviously the written text, which is the Old Testament, and then there's the whole oral tradition, which was later written down because it was feared of being forgotten. But um, that's the sort of separation, that the division that we have. And within that, I'm, I'm not going to get into the whole story because it's also quite long. But there arises this question of how can it be that there is, and I'm butchering the quote a bit, but um, righteous men who uh, suffer evil and uh, wicked men who, uh, who uh, gain riches. Uh, more or less, that's my free quote. <laughs> uh, in, the Hebrew, in the original Hebrew, tzaddik veralo rashavetoblo. And so why, why is that? How can it be in a place, in a world where, you know, it's supposed to be a good place, fair place with morals and all these consequences, how can it be that we still see some people who are so good um, suffer tremendously and some people who really, uh, we would think, deserve uh, uh, something a little worse seem to be quite successful. Somehow in our day we seem to be uh, seeing more and more examples of this. And I felt that this was a a good place to ask that question, given my feelings towards Gerald Clark, and really, honestly, my my um, sorrow and disappointment in the fact that humanity and myself personally won't be able to enjoy any more of this man's research, books, podcasts. You know, is his his mind basically. Um, and obviously, I mean, that leads the question of well. What does that what does that say? That says that uh, for the amount of time that he was here, it sort of wasn't enough, and I was expecting him to have more time, and that uh, comes from this idea that we have this correlation between trying to be good people and uh, earning a benefit from that trying to be a good person so I don't get ill, or trying to be a good person so I'm successful, or, you know, trying to do the right thing, but perhaps uh, maybe for the wrong reason. And I don't mean that in a negative way, that the wrong reason is uh, immoral. 
if you're trying to be a good person, it doesn't matter what the reason is if you're acting nicely, you know. If you're really um, hiding the fact that you're an unpleasant person and you're just pretending to be nice, that's another thing. But if you're, you know, pretending by constantly doing the right thing, you're not really pretending anymore, you're actually doing it. But even so, we have this thought, it's obviously something that's talked about in many places, I think the, the, the end of uh, House, for those who uh, know, was also where Wilson, the, the, the best character, the one who was always doing the right thing, was the one who got cancer in the end, instead of the mean doctor who was always horrible to everyone. And it just made me once again think of this idea of life and death and what that whole equation means. How do we make sense of it? And for my mind, at least, this is the way that I uh, try to see it, um, accepting death as a natural part and uh, an inescapable uh, outcome for everyone. It really comes down to what we do with this lifetime and the 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 sort of not potential but the lessons that we can learn with this current identity character body persona etc and for me at least i mean i can sit here all day and say well gerald clark could have lived another 30 years and given us a lot more or another 50 years and given us even more and that would have been better and the fact that he went away so soon means that we lost out on those things that he'd give. But that's still a very narrow viewpoint, still a very sort of selfish or I should say egotistical in the sense that it's surrounded around my ego and my perception of it. But if we really do manage to view, as Gerald Clark did in honor of his memory, um, really manage to view life as a single occurrence that uh, happens again and again, and each single occurrence holds weight and is um, valuable, but is always going to be part of something much larger. And to see whatever period of time here on earth, and we can get into very uh, uh, dark and sad uh, realities that are happening around the world of people uh, going long before what we would call their time, with uh, air quotes. Um, but nevertheless, uh, if we look at nature, things are even worse. And, you know, the multiple uh, offspring are a result of most of them not surviving, period. Not even, you know, hours, let alone years. And this is this seems to be just part of how life is. Some lives are obviously uh, very, very long and not enjoyable and unpleasant. And perhaps even some people wish that that existence would be shorter. And then other existences which seem to be very, uh, you know, happy and uh, fruitful and enjoyable uh, seem to be cut short. And it seems that the length is not what is important here. Um, I do believe that we have sort of things to do and a certain time to do them and time uh, is a certain, you know, <laughs> a certain element. But I, I really am trying to constantly remember the fact that there is nothing to fear about death when it comes because it will come whenever. And if it comes in 50 years, some people might be more ready and say, well, I've lived a long life. But a lot of people don't feel ready ever, even when they're reach their time, you know, according to other people. And some people feel that they're ready to go even before they uh, have reached their time in our eyes. It seems that the length of time um, is not something that we need to focus on as much, in, in my mind at least. I try and focus, at least now, more and more on really trying to use whatever time I may have here uh, to the best that I can. Not always easy has to be said. And uh, there's quite a lot of prioritizing to do when you're really considering that it's a limited amount of time. But nevertheless, uh, I really do try and live my life constantly with this. If I die tomorrow, what would I do differently? And there isn't much that I would nowadays. <laughs> In my past, wow, if I knew today what I if I knew when I was 15 what I know today, then uh, then things would be very, very different. Um, but definitely uh, today, I do try and uh, take things a little more easily and accept our fate 
as one that none of us can escape, not even the greatest uh, gurus and yogis and uh, other spiritualists. Um, and we'll see, you know, because, yeah, we can see a lot of people who are still alive today who, uh, who uh, it might surprise us. <laughs> and we'll leave it at that. Okay, how are we doing for time? Oh, oh, not bad. Okay, I, I got it pretty good uh, this week. Um, is there anything crucial in chat that I've uh, missed? Uh, let me see. Wait, uh, PZ, you Jewish? I'm I'm curious what uh, what made you think he was Jewish? Just just out of curiosity, was it? I can't see anything that he said. Um, no, all of them. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, there's nothing. Ah, yeah, Gerald Clark. Well, no, you're amazing. Yes, Gerald Clark. He has an audio CD. Yeah, and <laughs> if if you're gonna buy, no, no offense to him, but just uh, I, I, I. Uh, let's just say I think he's a much more impressive uh, researcher and author um, than 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 artist. Let's just say, um, but that's my personal uh, inclinations. Um, okay, I'm I'm aiming for Alan Watts. Hell, want to be some of the cool people? Yeah, definitely. Well, it's it's um, Alan Watts and Robert Anton Wilson left his family with with crippling debt, and uh, you know a, a lot of these people, uh, you know, had this persona that's maybe today more than ever easy to cultivate, and everyone seems to have this persona, and we still believe it. Isn't it crazy? I mean, myself included. We all know that what's posted on social media isn't the reality, you know, and, and, and however we want to look at it, it just isn't. And yet, we still react to it as if it is. And we still see this persona of whatever, in my personal case, like, oh my gosh, all these people who are so much more advanced in the way of life that, that I want to have, and these people who are, you know, so impressive and all of their things that they're doing and uh, build you building oh dear is my audio in and out is that for everyone you know what let me just uh check here one second um i apologize for that okay now i should be uh sounds fine oh sounds okay okay maybe it was you i just uh okay i just turned off the other uh mic so that i would hear what you're hearing because i usually hear directly from the mic because there's a slight delay that i can hear now it's a little bit of an echo but it's okay we only got a few more minutes okay excellent so i can see the uh <laughs> msp waves ah yes that is a different uh thing uh, so i think the audio is fine excellent uh try leaving and coming back oh i thought <laughs> so you were talking to me i was like i don't think that's a good idea Randon. i'm not going to try leaving and coming back right now <laughs> um wait oh okay so i think we are okay here what was i uh, saying that my train of thought yes just to say that this I mean, it's like we've always said, do as I say, not as I do. You know, these personas should make us feel good. And if I have, I don't know, I know that people do this. I personally don't. But uh, just as an example, if I have a poster of uh, a, a very, uh, you know, buff guy when I'm working out, and that's what I look at to motivate me to do something, then that's great. Or whatever it is that you do, if you have fine art hanging when you grow to draw, that's excellent. The problem is if you have things that make you feel worse and, and demotivate you from doing things. And I think that these, you know, the opposite can happen here. It's like, oh my gosh, Gerald Clark was amazing. He studied so many different things. He really applied it um, himself and really put his money where his mouth is and did everything right. And he still ended up with cancer. And so does that nullify everything that I thought? Does that mean that he was wrong? You know, what's the answer? Where's the meaning behind it? And I think that's the same danger again. Whatever Gerald Clark wrote that impacted me in my life is still true. And whatever I think, you know, my narrative doesn't have to change because of it. It can. That's my choice. But it doesn't have to. And I choose, I mean, I, I just uh, constantly craft my narrative and I really do love it. I try to remember that it's just a narrative, but I don't uh, enjoy changing it as everyone. <laughs> but when I hear about Gerald Clark and what happened, um, I mean, 
obviously I also don't know him personally. I don't know what the the circumstances surrounding it. I don't know anything beyond what uh, his his lovely wife shared. Um, but it isn't actually sort of relevant, as it were, for his teachings and for his books, which I still enjoy reading today and I still am very grateful for having. And um, there's so many hours of his uh, lectures on YouTube as well, and he has he had a podcast for many years. So it's uh, it's really uh, uh, not um, as tragic for me personally as someone who didn't know him, you know, in his life, um, as it could be. I think I was much more upset when I discovered that Alan Watts was but was basically an alcoholic. You know, this man teaching about Zen and Taoism. Uh, being as addicted as I am is <laughs> was was disheartening, I'll admit. But I was a younger, more foolish man uh, back then. Um, okay, sorry for your loss, man. I felt similarly bummed when I heard. Yes, oh yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, yes, no, not to worry. There's uh, losses and gains all around, all around as usual. So. Okay, where does that leave us? I see we've got a few more minutes left. That's pretty much what I uh, wanted to talk about. So I'm glad that we've covered that. And next week, we really are going to start talking about uh, Gerald Clark. In fact, um, as I mentioned in the beginning of his book, he really takes most of the uh, beginning chapters to talk about Sitchin, to talk about his whole theory and and, and all of the evidence that he feels uh, is necessary. So we're going to skip, obviously, all of that. And if you're listening to this or you will be listening and you don't... Um, you don't know what we're talking about, you've never heard of Sitchin's theories, then you're more than welcome to go back to the earlier episodes and, uh, yeah, re-listen to all of those to uh, catch up. As always, the episodes are available on all podcast apps, uh, DZP, The Discomfort Zone, and, uh, yeah, you can uh, work your way through those. So we're going to be starting straight with Gerald Clark's take on thing. And he really is quite unique I actually <laughs> I, I will say when I when I mentioned this to my wife years ago it was about I don't know four or five years ago now I was so taken when I read uh, Gerald Clark's book The Anunnaki and, and I, I was it was a very very big part of my life and I just sort of I eventually I offered to one of my friends one of my close friends I uh, asked her if she would be willing to read the book with me that I would sit down with her and we'll read it together because I think it's so important <laughs> that she reads about this. I was pretty much uh, suggesting it to everyone, but she was the one who said, okay, yeah, sure. And I was so uh, shocked um, that I didn't know what to do. And we started doing it and we actually got, I think, by the end, there were two or three other people with us, uh, friends, and we would get together once a week for a book club. It's not a book club. Uh, book reading. I don't know what do you call it when it's because a book club you read the books at home, right? So uh, this was uh, we, we got together and we just read it together, and and for some of the things I would sort of interpret. So Gerald Clark is a very unique character, and he has a very interesting way of writing. He's a little all over the place. His style is slightly reminiscent of Drumvelo. I don't know why all of these people are so yeah. I don't know. I loved it, but I know from a lot of people I've shown, it's very hard to follow sometimes. Anyway, so we read the book and it was uh, very interesting. Oh my gosh, uh, Anunnaki. Uh, there's various spellings. You can spell it like that. And he actually talks about the different spellings as well. But uh, a, I think it's the first N is single and the second ones are double N and then one K, I believe. So A-N-U-N-N-A-K-I. Anunnaki. I think that's it. You should be able to find it. Uh, the Anunnaki. That's the name of his book. Um, yeah, so check it out. If you've never heard of it, I, it's a great read. It really, for me, and I'd, and I'd come to a lot of this with prior knowledge, and that certainly doesn't help. He's not really a good beginner's book, I think. He does sort of jump into the deep end. But for me and where I was, it was absolutely perfect. Uh, I got a lot out of it. Okay, so uh, yeah, uh, Nobabylon is actually uh, Sumerian, cuneiform. 
So we're not really sure about the pronunciation, but that's the sort of phonetic uh, writing that we uh, gave it. Yeah, a, uh, anu, na, ki, depending on where you broke, break up the words, but those who from heaven came or from anu. Anyway, so great to have you here. Wonderful to be here for another episode. Thank you so much for joining. Uh, and I can see the post-up isn't on afterwards, I'm afraid. So uh, that's it from me. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I will be here next week again for another one. And until then, have a great week, a wonderful time. All the best. Bye.